0: Boom! Hello everybody, welcome to the Chenzor Dynasty here on Twitch.tv slash JChenzor and episode two of OK Sonic Boomer with myself, James Chen, and of course, Mr. Corey Bell. Say hello to everybody.
1: Hi there everybody, my name is Corey Bell, Uh, fighting game uh, FGC-09er baby, I'm here to... <laughs> Interview slash co-host with James. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. And thank you for being on here. I felt like last week went really, really well and uh I felt like, you know, you were perfect for the role and it just turned out to be so much fun. I'm gonna try to keep it maybe to about an hour and a half today, you know, so we'll see. I know last time we went like two hours, so we could talk about this forever, but you know <laughs> but yeah. you know, you are you are a veteran now. We talked about that before. O Niners oh, are veterans so now, so there you go. <laughs>
1: so, um no, it's just like, you know, last week there was so many questions to go over I remember people after the fact they're like oh you didn't talk about this you didn't talk about that dude we, we could talk about this for days yeah pretty much we could much. talk about this for days there's so much to talk about yeah
0: and, and the tough thing about it too is you know we, we did have a two hour show last time so you know we might accidentally start talking about things that we talked about before just cause of you know overall just passion and stuff like that so um, you know apologies if we accidentally retread stuff but we do have the chat here so if anybody else remembers better than us can be like yo you guys talked about this last week and then we'll be like okay
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah back on track back on track yes uh, the other point was also like you know there are i think there's gonna be a point where you're gonna actually need to get other people on the show because there's gonna be stuff i'm not gonna know about you know you, like asking people about like oh hey how was how was this event in history in your region kind of thing right right
0: yeah, I mean, for sure, eventually, especially like I would love to get someone like Henry Sen or like Arturo Sanchez on here, so they could talk about the New York scene, right? Because that's that's such a different uh, place and different uh, stories to tell than my experience, which is largely just SoCal uh, based.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and that's uh, that's something that's really fascinating, right? And and so just because it still does come up in today. So that might be our first topic is region, right? Yes. You, you hear people talk about like, uh, so just an example, because I remember this a few months ago, Rob TV, who is now lives in Florida now. And I think he used to live in Chicago. I don't remember. But people are talking about like, oh, you know, New York and California has it really easy. All the events are there. <laughs> all, all the FTC events are there. You know, that's not fair. Or, you know, we don't have it other people in other regions like out in the midwest don't have it as good as us Mm -hmm. kind of topic and that stems all the way from the arcade days because that's where arguably the arcades were the most poppin yeah yeah
0: and again you know uh i talked i i touched on it briefly last week Uh, That, you know, a, a large part of before there was an FGC, it was just about our arcade being better than yours. You know, you just wanted your arcade to be stronger. And, you know, as the world keeps, you know, growing with technology and the world keeps shrinking in terms of, you know, size and distance now that we have easy access to each other, um, you know, that's kind of one of the things we'll probably talk about is all the technology helping us and everything. But before, when there was, I mean, like I said, we were playing Street Fighter when there was literally no internet, right? I
1: mean, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. The internet was like a very advanced concept at most. Like, or like you know, like you had to be like in a lab or something yeah. to get you access to it. Al
0: Gore was still building the pipes, you know? <laughs> and um, So back then, you know, you the the competition the region the rivalries literally were just arcade to arcade you know even it started within the arcade i wanted to be the best in my arcade but then eventually you started hearing about the players from another arcade that were like that was like across town and that's kind of basically where the rivalries came up that was the regional rivalry was my arcade was better than yours and a lot of the times it was just about who had the better players or more people playing at those arcades. Uh, there were so many older arcades in Southern California that were breeding grounds for strong players. Like a uh, Pac-Man arcade was one that people have talked about, which I've actually never been to. I never went to Pac-Man before it closed down. And I've, I, I'm mad at myself that I never actually had a chance to visit that arcade, but that was one of those, uh, you know, breeding grounds for talent. And, um, yeah, that's what, all it was, was just literally which arcade had the stronger players usually was the stronger one. But then as the world kept shrinking in terms of technology, then it started becoming less from arcade to arcade. Then it became like city to city, and eventually it was like, oh, L.A. versus San Diego, right? Hey! Three mm. <laughs> um, regions
1: cities, cities in California. California yeah against each other
0: SoCal NorCal became a big thing uh at one point in time and then West you know East eventually yeah then it became East versus West as it keeps growing then it became U.S. versus Japan you know and it, it just grew from there but the but the but you know the region stuff was always just kind of uh something that was really relative to the technology at the time and you know kind of going back to to what you were starting with is you know it really did come down to as we as I said you know which arcade had the best players which locations had the best players and you know as much as rob tv's you know comment is absolutely justified and is true but one of the reasons why Los Angeles and New York become so strong is because they just have the most people
1: <laughs> you know yeah just... the metropolitan areas, huge metropolitan areas.
0: yeah and and and, they're, and then obviously you know chicago is it's a huge metropolitan area but you know I, i'm not sure why it never kind of took off over there although i heard the chicago scene is actually growing much much stronger and bigger these days uh, shout outs to guys like you know ryan callisto Uh, who, who are doing a lot of work out there. Uh, I should just say Callisto, AKA Ryan, um, doing a lot of cool things out there. Uh, but you know, New York and Los Angeles have always been kind of the breeding grounds for a lot of the talent just because of the fact that they were just crowded and, you know, uh, just based off of population alone, you're going to have a lot of the stronger players. You're going to be able to find the strongest players in those areas, and they're going to be able to hear about it a lot easier. And, you know, if you have a pool of 10 million people versus a pool of 1 million people, you're just going to have 10 times the stronger number of players, <laughs> you know, statistically yeah. speaking. So
1: if you have strong players, it breeds more stronger players. Mm. Um The, there's a few points I had plus a question. Um, what, one of the points I actually, no, the point slipped my mind. One. Okay. Sorry. Question. (laughs) What's Pac-Man arcade?
0: Pac-Man Arcade uh was like I said, I'm sad that I never went there, but it was just one of those arcades that was in Los Angeles. Not even sure exactly where in Los Angeles, but you know, I've always heard it was like one of those like little CD arcade areas, but apparently it was one of those places where a lot of the strongest players in Southern California played Street Fighter and became very, very strong at Street Fighter. This would be a great question to ask someone like Mike Watson. You know, to get like Mike Watson on the show or something and have him talk about that. Oh boy, we would get a lot of fun uh, opinions about fighting game community if we got Mike Watson on the
1: show. <laughs> I would love to hear. Thing is, actually, yeah, that's maybe that's a question you put out in the Twitter sphere of, hey, who here had a lot of experience? Like, who, who whose home arcade was Pac-Man arcade?
0: Yeah, and... yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if anybody in the chat right now actually has ever played a Pac-Man arcade. But again, you know, it's one of those things. You'd have to be Southern California. You'd have to be super old school to be able to play at that arcade. You know. And uh, it was one of the uh, big arcades, and they would run a lot of tournaments. And it's it was a it was a very fervent breeding ground for strong Street Fighter players, where a lot of them would go. And you know, it wasn't even just that that arcade birthed a lot of the Street Fighter players. I don't think. I think it was more that it just became one of the meeting grounds. You know, uh, a lot of the players in the L.A. area were very strong. That's what happened a lot in Los Angeles. It wasn't just like one arcade created a lot of these players. Because as I mentioned last week, people were playing everywhere. There were good players everywhere. But then eventually one or two arcades would just kind of become the mecca, the hub. You know, World's Finest, which was the comic book shop that the Pico Rivera tournaments were run at. Uh, We didn't even get into the Pico Rivera tournaments last time. That's where guys like Tomo made a name for himself and uh, became one of the best players in Southern California. Where the tournaments first started in Southern California was this tiny little comic book shop in Pico Rivera, a little small suburb in, 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 in Southern California. But people would gather there, that place eventually stopped, and then, you know, it became... Uh, you know, Pac-Man Arcade and a couple of different arcades around the place. And then eventually, you know, Southern Hills Golf Land became the absolute mecca of all fighting game um uh Uh, Situation. Oh yeah, Mike Watson would hella call the current FGC (laughs) sod.
1: That is, it's definitely a different place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a different place. But even Mike realizes that too, because you know when he was running uh, Super Arcade, you know it was a very different kind of way that he would run that as well. You know he would definitely still try to avoid as much of the esportsness as possible. But you know there is still as a business owner, as a person running these tournaments, you know, you gotta still be welcoming and, you know, to all your patrons and stuff like that. It's, it's different times for sure. Back then, like I said, you know, we mentioned last week, we couldn't even decide what games showed up at arcades. You know, we weren't friends with the arcade owners necessarily. It was, we were kind of victims of whatever we could get. And so, you know, we didn't, we also didn't care if we fought in arcades or... I, I mean, like, I'll admit it. I was an angry kid. I'm an emotional guy. People have watched my stream. I used to be mm-hmm. one of those guys that would pound the, the cabinet when I lost. I would just be like, damn it. And I'd, like, punch the cabinet, you know? Because I would just get so mad and everything. And that's just the way it was. Like people, Like, you just didn't... Arcades were... You were, it was so like detached from people running the arcade so that you would actually just kind of hit machines and break them and stuff. And it, was, it was really bad. It was really bad back in the time. So, uh, it definitely was a different, different
1: time. time. It yeah. was definitely a different time. Oh, sorry. Uh, just, uh, to comment on Phil Dingus's point, it's, it's, I just feel like it's a different time. I don't I I don't want to say one was to say right or wrong. Like, you know, between now and then it just it was a different time. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> um, you know what
0: what, what Imhale says in the or Imhale, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that uh talking I'm about Howell? this. Um, you know, I do like FGC rivalries and I keep telling people to keep utilizing them. You know, like, for example, uh, you know, New York and L.A. always has this rival. There's this NLBC... You know, Wednesday Night Fights rivalry. We've always had like matches between the two. Uh, people have asked me how to grow the Texas scene again, and I know it's really hard because if you've been to Texas, you realize that every city's like a two-three hour drive apart from each other. It's but huge. I I would have tried to do like a Texas rivalry three thing. You know, San Antonio versus Houston versus Dallas. You know, versus Austin kind of thing. Set up that kind of a system because. One of the nice things about rivalries, and this is one of the reasons why NorCal and SoCal have been so strong, and and uh, East Coast West Coast have been strong. In fact, there are, I have a whole huge story that I've told before about you know the East Coast West Coast rivalry and how it kept everybody so strong. But it gives you vested interest to make the people in your area better. You know, if your rival is the guy that you fight in the arcade all the time, you're not going to tell him all his weaknesses. But if he's part of your team to beat Team NorCal and you're part of SoCal, you're gonna be like, Look, bro, you keep doing this after this every single time and people take advantage of them. Stop it so you can beat these other guys, you know? I've even had pride
1: I- you have in your home turf. Yeah, exactly.
0: I-, I even told um I even told like Midwest and everybody like just start calling out the South or, you know, start calling out like a different area and just being like, you guys suck. Like if, if New York and Los Angeles have a rivalry, why not make it so that Texas and Midwest have a rivalry, right? You know, just, just randomly do it. And, and it just, it's just going to, and as long as you keep it in game and as long as you keep it so that, you know, it's civilized, we don't want people actually like, like, you know, NLBC and Wednesday night fights, we want to beat each other's ass. Okay. Like that is for sure. We want to win, but you know, are we going to get into actual fisticuffs over this thing at this point? No, that's not, we're always going to respect each other in the end. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the whole thing. You know, we want to be, that's, that's the whole nature of fighting games. You want to beat the guy you're playing against, but you always keep it in game. And I think that's important.
1: I've always liked the, I think you actually might've been you who mentioned this. Um, Acting as if it's, like, professional wrestling, right? You have a heel, all right. You have a storyline. <laughs> I've always felt that made FGC so interesting because you see people playing it up. You see people talking shit, and it gets it gets really exciting. For me, that's what grassroots FGC is. It's yeah. people talking all the shit they want in order to make things hype for the audience. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I never want to fabricate it, you know? And that's the nice thing about the FGC is our personalities are so you know, crazy and out there that we almost never have to fabricate it. I remember, you know, when E-League did the whole thing with Wolf Crone and K-Brad and they brought in the security guards and all that stuff. And I was like, God, you don't need to go that far. You know, you don't need to play it up like that. Like, just let it happen naturally. And, you know, the FGC is just one of those great environments. Uh, Seth Killian always had the greatest comment, you know, about Evo. You know, it's just kind of this whole thing that, you know, they don't manufacture hype at Evo. You just create the stage at which hype can happen and hype happens because as long as the the, the drama is real, as long as the storylines are real, you get the Dogura and Galileo match and, you know, that drama was real. You get the Bala... And the, you know, Bala losing KOF 13 the first year and then Reynold coming back and taking it the next year and the audience, you know, the having all the chance and everything. All that stuff was real and you get those awesome top eights because it's so genuine. And, you know, as long as we do that. And, and so as long as the, the trash talking is real, I do like that, you know, people... Take the heel roll, there's F chapp who takes the heel roll to KBRs you know to to the, the to the uh, what is it? What's the other one face, face and heel. Face right, the the good yeah, guys. Yeah,
1: face uh, like a face. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you know, KBR would kind of be the the face, and uh, F Champ would be the heel. You know, but again, you know, we saw at Reflex 10K. Even though everyone got all excited when they were playing each other, in the end, you know, F after beating KBR gave him a hug and you know told him that he respected him and everything like that. And so, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the thing that you know I like to see. I like to have those storylines. And why, in commentary, I like to talk about those things. So, you know, during the one uh, Capcom Cup, I kept hyping up the Itazon versus Nemo storyline that those two hate each other. (laughs) And uh, they ended up playing each other in top eight. And it was great, you know? It was fantastic. And that's when Nemo did the handshake thing, you know? And it it was wonderful. And you talk about those things. And I love those kind of stories, but... You know, um, as long as they're natural. I don't want to make stuff up. That's just all.
1: Of Real emotion. Like... Yeah, exactly. I th- There was so many moments that I really, really liked growing up. Uh, or, you know, just seeing in the FGC, uh, so, who was it? Yeah. Say To Weebs, nice name. Uh, <laughs> mentioned the Florida versus Texas MK11 event, which was at Combo Breaker last year. That was such a cool event. I, I loved watching that tournament. It was so good. Dude, <laughs>
0: that, I mean, uh, at the end of the year, we always do the Ultra Chen TV Awards, and for uh, 2019, That was on my top three, one of my favorite matches of the entire year because that thing was so good. You know, especially when you had even guys like Katana Prime on commentary like popping off, you know, for his his squad as well and everybody was just like popping off all over the place. But in the end, it was, you know, it was, I mean, one, the drama was there and, you know, it came down towards the end and, oh God, it was so good. And if you guys actually haven't, had a chance to watch that you guys need to go find that on 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 youtube and and just watch it's long because obviously it's an 11 versus 11 or was it yeah it was 11 versus 11 or 10 versus 10 or something like that it
1: was something like that yeah
0: it was a long event but it was a lot of people it's so good it was so fun to watch Uh, if anyone goes and finds it right now uh, please paste it in the chat if you guys can so
1: As someone who doesn't play MK and doesn't really care for MK, to be honest, Mm -hmm. which is just my opinion, by the way, that event was so good. (laughs) That (laughs) event was so much fun. And I I feel that's what makes a really good, like, event to watch or tournament, is you don't even need to know the game and the entire event is just fun as hell.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, It's, it's... I mean, I think I talked about it last week. I know I talked about it on stream recently. Yeah, okay, hang on a second. I got the link for you guys over here. Uh, I'm just going to paste the link in the chat over here. So there you go. So here's the 10v10. It is definitely on Team Spooky After Hours by NYC Furby. So, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, for example, like you mentioned, you're not really that into MK, but that event was super hype. I'm not really into Dragon Ball, but every time Goichi and Sonic Fox play each other, I have to watch. I have their wa-
1: storyline is the best
0: and, and this last Evo, you know when Goichi won Evo and to see how he just started crying and like he had to throw the glasses off and he was like shaking. he could barely like keep his emotions in check and Sonic Fox is just like laughing and hugging him and stuff. oh, it was so good. It was so good, man. Oh. See, I
1: feel those are like two different types of storylines, right? Like, well, the one we were talking about earlier is more like grassroots, like, oh, people are talking shit, and there's, like, you know, a lot of tension between these two teams or two air regions. And the Goichi Sonic Fox was definitely more personal, but you could see how <laughs> emotional, how expressive they were. Yeah. And that is really heartfelt, because you could see that they played from their heart, and yeah. that felt really nice. Yeah, and,
0: and again, see, that's what I mean. It's like the FGC... Is, I feel like, just such a magical place that we really don't need to manufacture any of this stuff. It's just gonna happen. We, we, you just get with these rivalries, even if it's a rivalry of respect like Sonic Fox and Goichi, or a rivalry of genuine dislike for each other like Wolf Crone and K Brad, right? That one very famous final round moment when those two players played against each other and K Brad won and just like gotten wolf crone's face and just stared at him and you had the mount rushmore of uh reactions in the background of pr rog and li joe and a bunch of other guys going like like that was just it's so genuine you don't need to manufacture it you don't need to hype it up you know it's 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 just there and sometimes even if someone wins and doesn't react and doesn't say anything and it's just like handshake and it's done like that says a lot the 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 uh Obviously the Visant low tier god.
1: <laughs> Legendary. Legendary. Right. I heard that was the one thing someone actually told me they saw that on uh World Star. They're like, no, yeah, not even the FGC at all. They said, like, yeah, that, that video was on WorldStar, they said.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Uh so. Thompson versus Nikki, that's a that's a killer instinct, uh that's a killer instinct rivalry right there. Uh, but man, this is what I mean. It's just like these rivalries just kind of happen naturally, and yeah, the 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 LTG and Visant one probably got maybe played up a little bit more than it needed to be, and you know, it it, it kind of maybe kind of exploded a little more than it even had to have happened but still, you know, it was very organic the way that it happened because one person I met the person, it was one of the guys who actually uh, helped me with the with the shoot 'em up commentary, the Battle Gorega commentary for the Kimono Michi, he was like, yeah, I told Mike Watson I would front some money for them to win and then Watson got it all together and like it just happened, you know, it's just like a bunch of different people just like, I really want to see this happen and it happened and it was uh it was really uh it was it was a lot of fun and and trust me uh the stuff ltG and vissant were saying each other definitely sounded like it was scripted but there was definitely uh, genuine <laughs> feeling genuine tension yes uh- uh-huh. i i was actually worried that there was going to be uh fisticuffs <laughs> it,
1: it, it, it sounds really cheesy like because to be honest, they probably were coming up with things to say on the fly, uh-huh. but uh, <laughs> it, at the very least, was a very legendary moment. Where yeah. I mean, come on, how many events can you really name off the top of your head where it's like, oh yeah, people who aren't even FGC know what that is,
0: <laughs> right? And and it's funny too because uh, you know you look at someone like Visan, he doesn't seem like someone who would be you know, that kind of person who would just sit there and talk that kind of trash. But it's very similar to, you know, the stories that I've told of Justin Wong. You know, when you're in the MVC2 community, you kind of have to learn to be that way. Otherwise, you really couldn't survive in that community because that was one of the most hardcore communities out there. Like, you either put up or shut up. Like, that was the, co- the community of, you know... People will be yelling at you and talking trash. I mean, we've seen, like, the Executioner versus Brahim kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, money matches and stuff like that. The Dark Prince stories and everything, you know. Yelling at
1: your face in the middle of your combo, telling you to drop your combo. Yeah,
0: the, oh, God, my, still my favorite was the Dark Prince versus Clockwork. Uh, They had a first to ten, I think. And there was one point where Clockwork had a setup that he calls a Strider Bomb, then goes for something, and he's vulnerable to Air Hyper Viper Beam. And so Dark Prince did the Air Hyper Viper Beam and caught Clockwork, but Clockwork knows the setup, and the Strider Bomb is designed specifically to hit Cable out of the Hyper Viper Beam. So as soon as Dark Prince did that and started shooting with a Hyper Viper Beam, you just see Clockwork. Like, as soon as he starts getting hit, everyone's like, oh, but then Clockwork just points at the screen. And then the bomb hits Cable, and it stops, and everyone's like, oh my god, dude. Like, it was crazy, dude. It was such a hype moment when Clockwork did that. I was just like, oh, yo. And Clockwork is another one of those guys who's like super quiet, super reserved, but you put him in this MVC2 environment, and all of a sudden, he's like cocky pop-off king, you know?
1: (laughs) And so that, that's one of the points, right, where uh, just to slightly go back to another point we made earlier about, you know, oh, if Mike Watson were here, he would call, you know, the current community soft. And it's like, it's different um, because at that point in time, that was generally more accepted. In fact, not only was it accepted, you had to be that tough. You had It was a very rough and tumble environment. And also because I guess you could argue because it was more grassroots, it was less about money. In yes. fact, there's probably less money going around. You know, people were like, yeah, we're here for the fun of it. I'm here to talk trash and make sure we have a good event. Well, now it's like, hey, there's money on the line. Did you just, you know, did you just mess me up? That goes against the rules. Capcom Pro rule rules says you can't do this, this, and this, you know, whatever. Right. right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is definitely something to be said about, you know, playing for pride as opposed to playing for money because, you know, back then it wasn't, about that but i i think it works both ways as well cuz like the the Galileo Dogra match that i mentioned earlier Uh, at Evo Top 8 I mean that one was largely about money because you know uh, I remember I think Dogoro was engaged you know at at that time he's married now but they had planned to use that money for the wedding etc and then he was up and ended up losing that match and Galileo took it and you know there was just emotions and like I said uh, I think I mentioned this last time or uh, it might have been on another stream but you know when you sit there and I was there and when you actually see like people like knelt on the floor just like crying you know just like because they're so like tears of joy and tears of sadness you had both of them in there and it was just like it was something to behold it was so crazy but you know pride is always going to take over because you know you talk to someone like punk and you know i i respect punk so much i respect him so much because you know He's a guy who could basically win anything he wants, and, you know, he's actually told me he wants to win EVO more than he wants to win Capcom Cup, you know? Because even though Capcom Cup has the money, but just being able to put your name onto one of those, uh, on the list of EVO winners is is more important to him. There is that sense of pride, of history, of trying to cement yourself into that place of evil winners so that is something that he's more invested in is winning something like that than capcom cup and i think that's fantastic so you know pride is definitely (laughs) justin rolling across the stage
1: (laughs) that was great i remember that but that's a heart of a champion right there you know someone who's that dedicated where it's like they want to be the best they want to make their mark on history yeah yeah
0: and it's, it's just funny, too, because my favorite video was when someone actually took that Justin video and, and edited it so that it went black and white in slow motion and put the GTA Wasted on the screen. <laughs> like he ran, he, would go, he just starts tumbling, he's like, Wasted! He just like rolls over. Oh, that was hilarious. But, you know, that was, an again, another one of those pride situations because Justin got second place to Flocker the year previous to that. And, uh, you know, he hadn't won another EVO outside of MVC2 uh, in a while. And so, you know, he really wanted to win in a different game. And then he got that MVC3 event. And you can tell it meant that much to him, you know. So much to the point that he had no control over his own faculties and just kind of tripped There's been a lot of injuries in top eight celebrations. (laughs) (laughs)
1: do do you know of some other ones like of of other injuries that happen as a result of of celebrating
0: yes uh, yipes winning MVC2 at Evo that was probably one of the most famous ones after he beat Justin in in grand finals he jumped in the air landed and twisted his ankle (laughs) and um, literally the next day I saw him being wheeled around in a wheelchair the next day I saw him and I was like yo are you okay and he was and he looks at me and the first thing he says, this, yo, man, fat man shouldn't jump. <laughs> <laughs> Which was great. And actually, so the story of Yipes saving the old man in the subway. Do you know that story, Corey? Have you...
1: I do know that story. I do know that story. Yeah. So an please old, tell the audience.
0: Yeah. An old man fell into the tracks of the subway and the train was coming. Like the, the, the train was on schedule to show up like right there. And everybody was just like standing there like, oh my God, except for, guess what? Marvel fighting game reactions, right? Yipes immediately ran over there and jumped down the, into, the, into the tracks to help the old man up. And as soon as he jumped, that's when everybody else started moving. And so Yipes lifted the old man up and they all helped pull the old man up and then they all helped Yipes up. But afterwards, Yipes... Uh, was injured from jumping down because that's a far distance to jump down and it was actually a re-injury of that old uh, MVC2 ankle twist. So, you know, it was always going to be a little more delicate and so he actually re-injured that but they managed to get him out there. Uh, he was with Persia at the time, and Persia told me the story that she was just screaming because, you know, the the the, the train track was coming in, and it was, like, completely terrifying. So
1: Last action here is jumping right into the action you yeah. know, before anyone else could react. Dude, Marvel yeah. reactions, he's just on there. Exactly. Dude, so new age of heroes. <laughs> oh, all right.
0: Nice. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly, I mean this is why I tell people, you know, Yipes is one of those guys I would trust with my life. I would take a bullet for that man because, you know, he is to me genuinely one of the greatest human beings in the FTC. But yeah, he did injure himself when he won MVC2. So <laughs> you might say they were taken for a ride. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, the thing is, yeah, no, Yipes is definitely one of my favorite people in the FGC. And any time I've ever interacted with him, he's always been a genuine person. And it, it's so funny because even before I knew what the FGC was, I knew who Yipes was because of it, the Marvel 2 video. <laughs> the curly mustache, you know, that's so Pringles, I that video.
0: You know, it's funny because I actually had a coworker walk up to me one time, uh, and they were like, Hey, uh, I saw this weird video on the internet of like some guy yelling about Pringles and stuff. And I was like, "Yep," yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep, I know that guy. He's the best. And he's like, what is the deal with that? And he was like, that's just yikes, man. <laughs> that's just yikes. That's how he is. And it's funny too, oh, because way- that video, by the way, just to tell another early story, uh... Like, when I first got into commentary, that's what I tried to be. I tried to be that video. So... When I started doing commentary, I would, like, try to make catchphrases. So I was just sitting there going, like, oh, yo, he's so S-rank, you know. And, like, you know, I would, like, try to, like, yell inane stuff. And trust me, it sucked because that is just not who I am. That is not me at all. And so I realized very quickly that that was not something that I could do. And it was one of the most important lessons that I learned is just to be myself. And so that's when all the bad puns came (laughs)
1: And There you go. Commentators will find their style. You found yours, which is funny because I, before I met you in person, I also knew about you like, oh, man, he's a legendary commentator. (laughs) Like my friends like all knew who you were. It's like, oh yeah, ultra, the ultra Chen, you know, James Chen and ultra David. That's like the duo. That is the duo you get. I remember watching many many tournaments with you doing commentary. Yeah. So, and, actually, hindsight 2020, thank you very much for doing that.
0: And, and, and honestly, I obviously, I do have like, is it going to kill as a catchphrase? I didn't even realize I said that every single time. So, that was a catchphrase that just happened by accident and then people yeah. started making fun of me for saying that all the time. Because, honestly, as a commentator, while you're waiting for a super to kill somebody or not kill, what the hell am I supposed to talk about? You know? Like, you don't want to be like, well, uh, so, I- recently, he he got the super because like it's a hype moment and you want to hype it up so like you don't want to sit there and analyze something i can't just sit here being like uh oh oh oh, oh, oh.
1: cory let's let's try this okay there we go oh. our connection was going to sh- I, I didn't hear a single thing you said because it got really really oh, oh, okay okay like let me try it again
0: no i was saying for the is it gonna kill stuff you know while it's happening you know, it's a hype moment because you're wondering if the guy's going to die or not. So what am I supposed to say? You know, I never thought about it. So my comment was always, oh, my God, is this going to kill? Is it going to kill?
1: It's very tense. It's a very tense moment. What's going to happen? Yeah,
0: I I can't sit back all of a sudden and be like, oh, okay. So the reason why he landed the super, because that's just going to completely destroy the mood. And so I always said that because that was the only thing I could think of saying and then I realized that it became a thing. And so uh, I just embraced it.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, here's the thing. what's a What What better phrase do you have that's going to really convey that feeling of tension of right. like, yo, is this going to kill? Yeah. Is this it? Or is there more to come after this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess like the only other thing I could do is like, uh, 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 but I don't know if that's just going to get annoying after a while. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I think you're fine with just saying "Is it gonna kill?" Yeah. Not only because it is it now a catchphrase, but it's it's generally the best thing you can be yeah. saying. At that and, and, and people kind of everybody expect else does it. it.
0: Everyone expects it from me now, so there you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: What what that reminds me though, of, like yes, Yipes is very very creative and original with his catchphrases. Uh, uh, there, there's many things he said like maybe only once or twice that have always been like left left, left an impression on me, uh-huh. like. One time, I think he was commenting Street Fighter Five, and he was commenting on someone getting, like, kicked in the face or something. He's like, yeah, watch your cabeza! And I was like, that, for me, was just super funny to me, and I never forgot about it. <laughs> Even though he only said it that one time. Right. He, I
0: mean, he, he's the only one who can get away with a lot of that stuff and do a lot of that stuff. And he has that natural rhythm and flow. And honestly, you know, uh, he has a background in rap. You know, you know the Evo theme that, that, that Evo uses a lot... Uh, that was created by Red Rapper. He wanted to create a theme for Evo, so he created that. And on that rap, uh, three people are actually heard on that track rapping. It's Red Rapper himself, Yipes is on there, and I believe Shizza is on there as well. I think Shizza was the, the third person, and again, rest in peace to Shizza. Um, you know, passed away last year, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah, Yipes has a very strong background in rap and that is where a lot of his power comes from you know because rap especially freeform rap is about being creative and on the fly coming up with these kind of very melodic sounding phrases and stuff and you know he's that is where a lot of Yipes' strength comes from, in my opinion, is that he's able to say these things that are just hilarious and they flow so well. And so every time I sit there and commentate with him and listen to him when he says stuff like that, like one of the dangers of commentating with Yipes is you can get caught listening to him and not saying anything because you just sit there and you're like, my God, this man is a genius. <laughs> you know, really I mean, is. honestly.
1: He really is. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just having that much creativity on such short notice. Yeah, you know, ha- having that free form, that that freestyle, that improvisation is mm-hmm. very, very impressive. Yeah, yeah.
0: But God, how do we? Like, I know we were talking about injuries. Who was the first person we were talking about getting injured on stage at EVO? Oh, Justin. That's right. <laughs> Falling over. Justin.
1: <laughs> then yikes.
0: Yeah. Uh, but you know uh Tom, talking about um uh you know how much you know the the emotion and the drama kind of jumping all the way back to there you know one of my favorite stories is talking about uh what was it who was it i think it was uh Suave no it wasn't rico suave it was uh who was the uh, the, the second evo champion for killer instinct uh was it uh, let me see
1: let me try let's to see
0: uh oh, killer instinct killer instinct uh, oh gosh where's this information
1: here I'm trying to look it up myself because I don't remember yeah I know uh...
0: right? I'm so bad with my history and names and everything like that oh that was the UK okay, so 2016 sleep one uh what was it 2015 who won in 2015. 2015
1: uh, was Rico was... Suave. KKI in 2015 was Rico Suave. Yeah, so
0: 2014, the winner was uh, CD Jr. That's who it was. It was CD Jr., yes. So uh, I still remember... Oh, yeah, Ponder Sleuth actually just mentioned it in the chat. Thank you, thank you. Um, uh CD Jr., was one of the players out there who used to always just sit there and talk about like, you know, oh, you know, Evo is nothing, blah, blah, blah. I don't like Evo, you know, Evo is not just another tournament or whatever. It was a lot of a, a, a Triforce talk in his ear, basically. You know, Triforce, that's what he would always kind of tell a lot of the New York players there. And I used to talk to CD Jr. on on Twitter and just be like, no, winning Evo is a big deal and everything. And, every, and he would kind of argue that it wasn't. And then I still remember he won the first Killer Instinct tournament at EVO. And when he was on stage and picked up the trophy, he just started crying. Like, he just started tearing up. And he was super emotional. He was like shaking, lifting the trophy and everything. And, you know, I tweeted at him afterwards. I was like, I think you know what I mean now, you know. And that's kind of going back to that pride thing. You know, the pride over the money. It's just he won that tournament and now he knows... He's always going to be in the history books for this event, except for my senile brain because I can't remember names at all or anything. But, you know, he's always going to be in there. He's never not going to be in there. And he will always be the first Killer Instinct champion at EVO. And like I said, the emotions that you saw him going through was just... It was such a wonderful moment. It was... Oh, God, I... Like every time I think about it, I start tearing up because that's how happy I was for him to have that moment. And, you know, that to me is one of my favorite things about the fighting game community is that, you know, these events give people the opportunity to have these just life changing moments for themselves. And, and it's fantastic. And it's something that, you know, I I do start tearing up every time I, I, I think about it, so
1: the FGC has a lot, a lot of passion in it. Mm-hmm. And when you get a group of people with so much passion competing to be the best or prove that they're number one, you get a lot of good stories out <laughs> of it. Yeah. A lot of good events, a lot of things in the history books. And yeah, like as you just said, you know, senile brain aside, uh, <laughs> That is now recorded in history. You can find that on Wikipedia. CDJR, CD Junior did win Ki, yep. and that is gonna be in history.
0: Yep, it's gonna be there forever. It's gonna be there forever. So, oh
1: man, crazy. Um, one of the points I wanted to talk about earlier about when we're talking about region, <coughs> regions that comes to arcades, you know, about uh, um, where it was, you know, more like arcade versus arcade, that eventually grew into region versus region, and whatnot, was that back in the day wasn't like forum posts talking about like, Oh man, there's one good guy here. We're going to get, that's all literal word of mouth. People talking about it in person (laughs) about like almost like urban legend status. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, 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 and that's, that's what we had to go off of. It would be like, yo, I heard this guy said this, yo, I heard that guy said that. And, and you know, uh, What's funny, you know, you talked about the urban legend status. I mean, that was such a thing. You would hear about all these great players, and that's all you could do. I know we talked about it last week, about the guys who would be on Shoryuken Forum saying, like, I could beat Vae, I could beat John Choi, you know, because that's what they are. They're urban legends, and... You know, one of the reasons why the Daigo parry was so ridiculous is because that was one of the first times Daigo had been to the U.S. outside of that Alpha 3 tournament versus Vi, you know, and when he showed up to Evo, I mean, Daigo's even said this, he said it was weird. He was like, I showed up and people wanted to take pictures and they wanted autographs. He was like, that was so weird to me. Like, it just didn't make any sense to him. But, you know, he was that guy. He was the guy that you heard about, you know. Oh, it's Daigo the Beast. It's Daigo the Beast. And he looked like he was about to be taken out by Justin Wong. So it was like, oh, you know, maybe the he is just a, you know, urban legend. Maybe it is just hype. And then he pulled off that parry into the jump combo and killed everyone. And that's when everyone's like, nope. Legit,
1: <laughs> he's a real.
0: He's real, and that changed <laughs> everything, dude. It, it's crazy. <laughs> Saber's, the, in the Sabers in the chat. Sabers in the chat. Awesome, awesome. One of the strongest uh, Arizona players. In fact, uh John Crofts, you know, uh, has been putting out a lot of videos. One of the videos was about Sabers match versus Alex Vie in the in the Street Fighter Four Five v Five, where he cooked Vie with his Sakura uh in that tournament. Yes.
1: And, yes, 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 yes.
0: And uh, Saber, very, very strong player, Scott. Um, uh, and uh, he uh, is even saying here in the chat that people would show up to his arcade doing work. Then they would come and get him so that he can take them out. Yeah, see, this is what I mean. This is This is what it was. It's like you had your, like those players probably didn't, like losing to saber they probably wanted to beat saber but as soon as someone else from another arcade would show up they would be like quick get get him over here so that he can beat him up you know <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing you know so that's the way it worked that's how it, it worked in the arcades days and yeah you that's all you could do is word of mouth or you would have someone travel to another arcade they would go to the arcade and get cooked by the local players there and they would come back and they'd be like Holy crap! This arcade was crazy. I couldn't beat anyone there, and then the other best players would be like, "Huh? All right, let's go over there and see if we can take them out." And that's just kind of how it worked back then. And yeah, there was no internet. Nobody was talking trash to each other anywhere. It was just—it was like. Almost kind of like, I don't want to call it local gangs because, you know, that makes it sound like arcades being gangs, but I mean, that's just really kind of what it was. It was
1: pride in your scene, in your arcade, whatever you want to call it. It was that group pride, which is why I still really enjoy team tournaments, especially Mm -hmm. the MK versus, or the Florida versus Texas tournament, because there is definitely pride and beef they have of like, even if they're like, even if within that one scene, like, all the Texas players might hate each other on any given day. Oh. They're like, no, on this day, we stand united. We got to beat their ass. <laughs> we got to beat them. We got to show them who's boss.
0: Yeah, because a lot of it, too, is just, you know, if you can't beat another arcade, if you have your arcade and you're playing and you're the best in your arcade and you're doing all these crazy tricks that nobody, know, that nobody can handle, but then there's another arcade out there that you can't beat their best players, That means that the other arcade knows more than you do. And remember, strategies and tips and stuff like that could not be spread. You know, we didn't have, like, it took a while even before stuff like FAQs would even show up. You know, like, there was no way to talk about any of these strategies to other players at all. You know, back in B3 days when Vi discovered the Vi CC, you know, he was able to save that all the way till Battle by the Bay and use it, in the tournament to surprise everybody, save that shit for nationals, you know? Uh, Nowadays, you can't do that, right? Someone finds it, someone sees it, they post about it, and then everyone analyzes it in training mode, because we didn't have training mode, you know, back then, and there's already a YouTube video about it on the first day describing exactly how it works you know and so back then we had none of this ability to even spread that information so if your arcade could not beat another arcade they just knew stuff that you didn't and that meant your arcade wasn't was lacking information and so there mm. is that pride you can't let another arcade beat you because you want to be the best arcade because that means you guys know the most about the game And so if somebody else is beating you, that's, you know, even without openly saying it, you 100% know in your heart that they know more about the game than you did. And it was really, really tough to handle.
1: I I, I want to comment on Saber's point here about, you know, how he misses the mystery. And I, I have, I feel like there's, there's two points on that. One, like, yeah, there's definitely lack of mystery because as soon as something gets found, that information gets spread like wildfire and not everyone knows what it is. Everyone knows about it. True. There's none of that. But at the same time, you could argue that because everybody knows that, that means everybody's growing exponentially faster because they're not having this invisible barrier of, I have no idea what this thing is. I can't get better.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But with that said, you know how, like, oh, there's less mystery because as soon as something gets found out, we spread it. Think about this. Think about Arslan Ash in the Tekken scene. How people didn't know Pakistan yeah. was a major force in Tekken. And when Arslan Ash, I think, like first started to go into tournaments like internationally, and he was washing everybody, Arslan would say, "Like I'm not even the best player in Pakistan." <laughs> and hearing stuff like that was mind blowing. Yeah, that's
0: actually an amazing point because that was. The same thing about kind of like having some guy at some random arcade showing up. Like, we didn't even know this arcade was there. And he's like washing everybody on a global scale. That's actually such a good uh, parallel. Like, now you picture it as a local level. That's what it was like back in the arcade days when this guy would come wash you and then be like, I'm not even the best at my arcade. And you're like, what? How does this well, even happen? Your arcade? Yeah, yeah that that that's actually that's such a cool uh, uh, uh a juxtaposition that you caught there dude. that that that's awesome. but you know, I, I do like the fact that we are in this age where you know information does spread a lot faster so that we can get there. and you know, it, it's tricky because before, that's kind of what promoted the you know I want to beat Daigo mentality as opposed to I just want to have a photo with Daigo the the fan kind of mentality is because in the arcades you did feel like you were the best in the world so you wanted to beat everybody. I, I talked about this I think a little bit last week you know that everybody wants to start off by doing all the things that Justin did in Street Fighter Four like I want to do the one frame links. And nowadays, it's less like that because people recognize that these are the best players because it is a global phenomenon now. So, you know, while it's cool because now people really know and respect the people who are the best, at the same time, I almost kind of feel like it's too much. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I still want you to go into a tournament wanting to beat Justin's ass. But you know, if you lose to him, you'll be like, okay, shake your ha- shake his hand, and you know, okay, yeah, he is really good. You know, well, kind of thing. Of course,
1: thing. I lost it was Justin Wong. Duh. You know. Yeah. Yeah. definitely, I I agree with that. I feel like I I wish there was a bit more passion of everybody always wanting to strive to be the best, but then again, you know, pop monsters are pop monsters, you know, there's sometimes people who are there who just who want to enter for the sake of just being in the tournament, for being included? They don't care about winning or losing. Mm-hmm. They're they to have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and having that experience is so enjoyable. And honestly, the best way to get better at tournaments and learning how to you know handle those nerves is just to keep playing. Just to keep playing in them, and you'll surprise yourself, and you'll just have a, a great time doing it as well. Um, you know, a lot of people. That's one of the number one questions people always ask me is how do I get over tournament nerves. And my answer always is, you don't.
1: <laughs> you just keep putting yourself in that situation until you, know, you eventually get used to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, obviously you uh, in the San Diego scene, whenever you played Street Fighter, you have your roadblock, obviously, in the form of Mr. Richard Klink, right? So S. D. Pinoy kind of getting in your way. But I mean, you get in second place all the time, right? You, you get second place in a lot of the Street Fighter V tournaments out there and everything like that. But I can probably say that all of the matches that you play with every. Everybody, you're still kind of nervous every time you play
1: right yeah it's because i i feel like i have a res- enough respect for people where they because here's the thing even though i get i i almost consistently get second place that doesn't mean it's easy there are definitely <laughs> other good players in san diego yeah. and it's it's never like completely free mm-hmm. um yeah, I still get nerves. I still get nervous. There, there are still going to be moments where after a win, I'm like, I just need like a good 30 seconds to <laughs> right. sit here. I'm not moving from the setup yet. Give me a second to recover. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll get out of the way in a minute. Just give me a second.
0: Yep, absolutely. And yeah. and that's the thing. So again, you know, even if you don't expect yourself to do well, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be playing in these tournaments. You should de- definitely still be playing and, and having a good time as much as you can. So
1: yeah. And and honestly, especially now that we're in quarantine, I I miss locals. I miss oh. locals so bad right now.
0: I can't say anything because even before we were quarantined, I wasn't going to locals just because I was such an introvert and I just like it's so far. I don't want to go. But most of the time, I ended up going to Wednesday night fights was because like Olaf would be like, "I'll drive you," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> But, you know, uh, the worst thing about it, too, is as soon as this quarantine started is when I told myself, I was like, you know what, I'm going to start going back to Wednesday Night Fights because I want to commentate again and all this stuff like that. And then the quarantine happened and I was like, man, but, you know, That makes it easy for me to say, right? I can say I would have went if it wasn't for the quarantine, but there probably would have been a lot of days where I would have been like, "Yeah, I'm gonna stay home."
1: <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of days I stay at home and not, I don't go to Wednesday night fights. In fact, I I try to go maybe once a month because mm-hmm. it is like a, an hour and a half, two hour drive for me. Right. Oof. Which I, I which I already know there's gonna be someone coming to the woodwork right now saying, "Well, I have to drive four hours to go to my local every week." So, but yeah it's just it's, it's a long time my local local is only about 10 15 minutes away from me that's oh, okay. every week or every two weeks gotcha is that and the one I, I tried to go that one
0: is that the one that like Cody puts on or
1: yep that's yeah. Cody's it's called TtF if you guys are ever in San Diego and you want to play games it is very grassroots in regards to it is literally in someone's house there's not a like a professional <laughs> venue or anything like that we're just in someone's house we're just gonna play until four am yeah and I like that i I actually like that that's so Sorry, slight side note, that is actually why combo breaker is literally my favorite event. It's because throughout the day it's like a professional esports event you have, you know, the stream crews, mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. the stage, everything, and then after hours it's just grassroots. You see some people chugging a beer, just <laughs> everyone crowding around a setup watching people play games, someone's playing Street Fighter Four, someone's playing Mar- Marvel 3 someone's playing super turbo it can be literally anything and it feels really like at home like i'm just up until 4 out 4 a.m just playing games with some random guys in like someone's basement almost yeah
0: and again you know uh you know kind of two points on that you know one that's why combo breaker is the greatest like player tournament that exists not everything feels very Uh, natural and homegrown, you know, it is the big. it's one of the big eSports events with the least eSports feel, you know, and that's intentional, you know, uh, uh, Rick does a good job keeping it feel very community based and everything, but, you know, speaking to Cody's house, you know, just going to somebody's house and playing and everything I mean that's where all it's, it's such an interesting thing because as the arcade started dying that it was the birth of so many of the fighting game scenes that we have uh, Wednesday night fights literally came from uh, Shiggle BMX right so there's this, this guy in, in in down in Southern California who's like I just turned my garage here's four stations we all gather and we play in my garage I mean, the guy—he had to have—he had to start charging venue fees because his electric bill just like w- skyrocketed through the roof, you know. And mm-hmm. it was every Wednesday night he would gather people. It's where uh, Andy Ocr, Tatsu, and Warrock first developed their skills. It's where Shiza first developed his skills. And it was just a gathering place for everyone to play. And this is part of that, what I said about the East Coast-West Coast rivalry thing. Um, I'm not, if you don't mind me tangenting into this story, I could definitely tangent- This is what
1: the point of the game yeah. Go for it.
0: <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Um, when Street Fighter IV first came out, you know, uh, there was West Coast and East Coast. Everyone's like, oh, my God, Justin's the best. And over here on the West Coast, it was like, oh, Mike Ross, Gutex, Combo Fiend, these guys are the best. And, you know, SoCal, we definitely had the benefit of having arcades with more than one Street Fighter Four machine. Those things were expensive. So if anyone could get the Street Fighter Four machines, it was super rare. Uh, so in Chinatown Fair, they had one machine and you could only have a max of like a three or a four or five game win streak. And then it would kick both people off and then you had to jump back to the end of the line again and wait two hours. And so when uh, one of the play- someone out there ran a tournament, I think it was called Sensation, uh, in the East Coast you know, Gutex, Mike Ross, and, and Combo Fiend all flew out there to play and they washed everybody on the East Coast. Like, I think it was Mike Ross who beat Justin Wong or, or Combo Fiend beat Justin Wong or whatever. And so afterwards, the West Coast was like, yo, we're the best. Like, this is clearly, we are the best. And I think like first, second, third might have all been Combo Fiend, Mike Ross, and, and Gutex at that, you know, for that tournament or something. They, they got most of the top spots for that tournament. And so what happened was, West Coast started resting on their laurels a little bit, and East Coast was like, "Nah, nah," and you know the game came out on the home system, so he started so now they had the opportunity to play it more because honestly, the East Coast was definitely hamstrung by the fact that they had very rare you know machines to practice on. they couldn't practice for long sets and then when it came out, Gutek started bar fights, he did a bar fights too, and he invited the five players from the East Coast to play against the five players from the West Coast. It was like Edmond, Combo Fiend, and Alex Vai, you know, versus like Sanford, and, and Eli Joe, and Justin Wong, and Arturo, and everything. We lost 5-0. F- to zero. We got washed. We got washed. And it wasn't even close. It was 5-0, and we looked like chumps. And then West Coast started making all the excuses. Like, well, actually, we have all these up-and-comers. Yeb, you probably know about, right? Because yeah, uh, Sa- I know. Yeah, Jeb he's I a know. San Diego player. It was like, Yeb and all these other guys are like, no, these the, like play these guys instead, right? And East Coast was like, yo, we watched you already. Why do we want to even play this, right? Why I mean, would we even want to do this? We already won. And they were like, no, 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 you have to, because our pride was hurt. We were super sore about it. And so East Coast finally agreed by making it so that all five of the East Coast players got to play a secondary character. So they didn't even have, they didn't play their main character. So if they lost, we wouldn't know if it was truly better or not because, you know, they were using their secondary character. We lost five to zero against their secondary characters. This includes Sanford Kelly playing Dan, okay? We lost five to zero again. We got washed. And it was that moment that I'm pretty sure, and you know, I know Vi is not in the chat right now, but I'm pretty sure that was the moment where Vi said, what the hell? And I can't let this happen to SoCal because right after that happened, he started going to Shiggle BMX's garage to play with everybody and then started setting up the good person station versus the other stations. And he would go there and start giving lessons. That's when Edma showed up and just told everybody they sucked. You know, he was like, all of you people are bad at this game. And so Vi really kind of took it upon himself to grow a new SoCal scene. And, re- and yeah, there were band matches because the garage started getting so full that basically those who went 0-2 had to play band matches and whoever lost got kicked out <laughs> and couldn't come back the next week so that, uh, you know, we could have more people in the garage. And that was the way that we determined who was going to be, who could actually show up. And, uh, Vi, I never knew that. Yeah. That's crazy. And uh, one of the most famous band matches, and sorry for putting his name on blast, was, uh, was a Sherry Jennings versus WonderChef match. And uh, Sherry Jennings got WonderChef banned for a week, you know. <laughs> and um, there was uh, a lot of, uh, and yeah, and so I think Vi took a lot of pride to grow SoCal. And that's when he started going there every week. He turned it into a system. AJ Papa decided to start streaming there. I started commentating there. And that's what slowly turned into Wednesday Night Fights at like a Dave and Buster's. That's where it came from. And it happened because of the East Coast, West Coast rivalry. If it wasn't for that rivalry, if it wasn't for us getting washed by East Coast like that, I don't know if the history of SoCal fighting games would be completely different because that's when uh, Vi made friends with uh, Sakata with uh aj papa with shingen and with shin jn like that's where that kind of all grew from and then there was the uh socal uh circuit that vi created that took place at sakata's house all the way out in in you know what city is it it's like it's moreno valley moreno valley like way out in moreno valley Uh, But, you know, that's where he had the five players audition for each area. There was the West L.A. area. There was the Irvine area. There was the Valley area. You know, and then there was the 5v5 that they all played Then I was on the West L.A. team, actually. I made it on the West L.A. team. I remember eventually losing to Mike Ross (laughs) in that tournament uh, at the House of Cicada. And, in fact, I think that's, like, the House of Cicada is where the no-you-may-not Sherry versus no, Marn thing came from I
1: remember that. Yeah. W- wasn't that with uh Marn? Yeah, that was with Marn, yeah. <laughs> and Dude, uh... you know, I just I I sorry, sorry slight aside just because I I feel I have to point this out. I had never thought about the history of the rebirth of the FGC with Street Fighter 4. I had never really thought about it because yeah. for me in my mind because that's when I entered, I was like, oh, that's still new stuff. That that's not like history, history. And I'm thinking, like, no, that's history now. I never knew that. That's really interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Street Fighter. I mean, let me, let me. I guess as a, as a another kind of aside, uh, you know, obviously that became Wednesday Night Fights, etc., cetera, et cetera. And uh, that specialist tournament, that 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 California tournament, is what taught me to play a stick on my lap as well. <laughs> I used to play on the ground all the time, but for the uh, tournament to get on the West LA team. It was played outside in a parking lot, like in the parking overhang of an apartment building, and the ground damn. was full of oil stains and everything. And I was like, God damn it, I have to play on a chair now? And I couldn't do that, and I, I, I forced myself to learn after that. But um, you know, going back to the history of Street Fighter IV... You know, if you came in in 09, you know, there's a reason why people call it the Dark Ages before that. And, you know, again, a lot of people get mad at that because Guilty Gear, Tekken, they were all still making games and everything like that. But honestly, like, you just never expected any more fighting games. You never, it wasn't really a big deal. Nobody ever really talked about it. Evo was such a niche thing. It was a small thing. Nobody covered Evo. You know, nobody cared about Evo. It was just uh, this little side thing. Uh, and, you know, the reaction to Street Fighter IV, and again, one of the key factors was they brought back all original of the eight characters. That was one of the key factors involved because everybody remembers Blanka and Guile and Chun-Li and Ken and Ryu and Dalsum and Zangief. That was such a key thing. I still remember... Uh, Because Seth Killian was now involved, they did this crazy Street Fighter 4 launch party in downtown Los Angeles. And I remember going to that event and seeing a line stretched all the way around the block. And some people had been sitting there for a day just to make sure they could get in and play. And the just, I-, I can't even explain to people... The juxtaposition of what I knew about the hype for Street Fighter to seeing that. It was such a shock to me. Like, it blew my mind. I, I could not process how excited people were for this event. And it was just a launch event. I could not fathom it because Street Fighter Four was in the arcades already. And it wasn't that big of a deal, but like the fact that this was coming out on the home consoles and everything and seeing this line and just like, I didn't believe there were this many people who cared about Street Fighter 4 in Southern California at all. And this line was gigantic. And like I said, the day before that, if you told me how long of a line there would be to get into this event, I would have said, huh, what line? You know, that's how I would have thought about it. But then when I showed up, I mean, I was obviously VIP, so I just got in. So, you know, that's how it works. <laughs>
1: important, James. We get it, all right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> but honestly, like, to see what it looked like and to see that line and to see how many people were hype and how excited everybody was inside that venue, like, literally was one of the biggest shocks that I've ever had in regards to fighting games. I mean, that's how much... Of a resurgence it was I I like I said, I went from 2008 of Evo, which I nearly retired from the FTC after that year because it was I just saw it was dead. like I was like this is it, we're done. you know, I don't see any new faces. It's all the same people and then a bunch of people who have disappeared because they've gotten jobs and they realize this is nothing. And then we did EVO 2009 with the grand finals of Justin versus Daigo. And then I was like, I can't quit now because this is amazing. I mean, the transition between 2008 and 2009. Like, people probably know the history that 2009 was the resurgence. But they don't realize the extent of the resurgence. Like it wasn't even just like, okay, it got bigger and Evo got bigger. No, it literally just went from like nothing to like
1: everything. It was
0: crazy. Man.
1: It it was like big bang, dude. Just like there's like barely anything there. It, it, it was it was, you know, whispers. You know, peanuts, bro. Yeah. And then BAM. It's it's so
0: crazy. And and so A a lot of people, you know, who do try to downplay how big the resurgence was in in 2009 and how much it was kind of the Dark Ages before. I mean, again, I'm not trying to disrespect the other scenes, but it just, it was such a different feel between 2008 and 2009. Everything changed. And as soon as Street Fighter IV became popular, that's when every company was like, huh, maybe we should make fighting games again. You know, because...
1: Another point I want to make with you know the end of the Dark Ages, you know, people are always going to say, well, there's other games are still being, you know, they're still out, there are other scenes still being active, you know, it's like you're dismissing all that, but no, it's 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 a big deal because basically Street Fighter was was dormant, a, a huge, massive IP that has massive worldwide recognition was completely dormant as a scene. You only had the regulars who are dwindling mm-hmm. over time coming in. All of a sudden, Street Fighter Four comes out. You know, and and, and yeah, this is in the age of the internet, right, where now we have online play, yeah, yeah, yeah. where now it's like, and now it's in your home, and you can play against everybody across the world, yeah. and it came out at a time where everyone's like, I know what Street Fighter is, yep. you know, that's a big deal, so everybody started playing it again, even mm-hmm. casually, you know, they might not have kept playing it, but everybody got on it, yeah. everybody got on it. And because everybody got on it, there was a significant growth of you know regular players, people who kept playing after that because now there's a huge scene that came up out of nowhere yeah
0: and, and and you know one of the I know Seth Killen, won't he always deflects the credit, but a lot of the credit goes to him you know I've heard stories about the stuff that he's he made Street Fighter Four developers do, you know, and to make it feel as old school as possible and Honestly, like, I give him so much credit. Because, I mean, what was the fighting game that we got from Capcom before Street Fighter 4? was Capcom Fighting Jam. Which was the biggest, most recycled like game ever, and it was just, oh God, it was just such
1: a I thought it was HDR
0: well, okay, yeah, yeah, HDR came out right <laughs> before uh, Street Fighter Four and HDR like was like it was such a perfect timing for that game too because one it was a classic game and two, it came out before Street Fighter Four, so a lot of people who are just all of a sudden now super eager for Street Fighter 4. Uh, got HDR just to, oh here we go. Let's get this and, and bide our time before we get to Street Fighter 4. It so, was
1: the appetizer
0: Yeah, so it was an appetizer. So uh, people in the chat are asking if HDR was you know gets any credit uh, I don't know if it was necessarily gets any other credit, but it, it definitely, you know helped ramp up everything to to uh, everybody playing this and yeah, so uh, like I said, I, I really do honestly feel like Seth Killian gets a lot of credit for this. And, you know, just, just to go from something like Capcom Fighting Jam to now this new game, which brought back all of our old favorite characters and, you know, added these weird weirdos in the game. But, like, we were all just so happy to play these old characters. That was one of the reasons why Street Fighter 3 was not successful. In fact, Ryu and Ken weren't even supposed to be in the game.
1: Uh, they only Alex had it after location testing.
0: Yeah, Alex was supposed to be the new main character of the game. And Ryu, and, it was just supposed to be a whole new generation. That's why it was called New Generations. And uh, it was supposed to be a whole new set of brand new characters. But then, yeah, when everyone played it, they were like, where's Ryu and Ken? Where's Chun Li? Where's all these characters? And so, kind of as a bone, they, they put in Ryu and Ken back into the game. Uh, I think Sean was supposed to really be the only Shoto that was in the game, and wow, uh... and
1: that's so funny to think about too.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's why they put Ryu and Ken in because they could use a lot of Sean's artwork, you know,
1: <laughs> just to kind of uh
0: to to make Ryu and Ken in there. And then uh yeah, they weren't even and so Street Fighter three like as much as everybody likes to talk about how much they love Third Strike and Third Strike is the god amongst all. when Street Fighter three came out in the arcade, nobody played it. Nobody played that. Nobody played really? Second Impact. Nobody played Third Strike. Street Fighter was mostly just like whatever at that time. People weren't interested in Street Fighter 3 because it was they none of the characters that they knew were in it. Like it wasn't that popular. It was actually pretty dead compared to a lot of things. Third Strike yeah, did come out as a as a bad time and even, you know, Saber in the chat is saying Street Fighter 3 was a huge flop. And yeah, by all you know, standards, it was a massive flop because it came out and it was all these resources and stuff and nobody really cared about the game all that much. Fighting games weren't popular and and it didn't have that nostalgia factor. So when Street Fighter IV came out and it had all these characters back in there, man, it was just like... It was such an important thing, and yeah, we had like CVS one and CVS two, but those were all like reused sprites again, and you know, it never rematch felt,
1: type games.
0: Yeah, it never felt like a new thing. And so when Street Fighter four came out, and it was three D graphics, and it was played in a two D plane still. And yes, I mean Street Fighter four is ugly, and it was even ugly back then. But it was still cool to see Street Fighter Five, Street Fighter Four, in this new generation of gaming. You know, now you have the cool ultras where you zoomed in on people. And while a lot of people hated the canned animations of ultras, I still remember the first bar fights for uh, that Gutex ran. Uh, a lot of people there watching weren't players, and this is a testament to how much graphics and visuals. Means something to people. So for those of us who played Street Fighter 4, we know that Ken uppercut FADC into Shinryuken really wasn't worth it because the Shinryuken did very little damage in that situation. Didn't go
1: into the cinematic, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I remember it was I think it was Ed ma who was playing Ken at the time. He had a match versus Combo Fiend, and they're playing against each other, and he he needed a comeback, and he did uppercut dash forward FADC into Shinryuken. And a lot of the people watching, as soon as they saw the ultra activate and it zooms in on Ken's face and he's like, ah, you heard the audience all go, oh, you know, but then all like the professionals were like, this is not worth it, you know, mm-hmm. but that kind of presentation added to the flair and the drama of the game and gave people reason to be hype about stuff because it, it looked dramatic and it was so cool. And Street Fighter 4 really kind of ushered fighting games into that kind of era, which, you know, for Street Fighter, obviously Tekken's been around forever. Tekken 5 is still a beautiful game and everything like that. But, you know, in terms of Street Fighter, and again, last week I mentioned that Street Fighter is the game that had the cultural impact for people to see Street Fighter presented in this way with their favorite characters was such a big deal and and I I will never forget that moment where Ed did that uppercut FADC into Ultra and the audience just all erupted because in my brain I was like that's not worth it but then I saw how everybody got excited and it made me realize how important you know the presentation and and you know this kind of factor into fighting games and it really has changed the way that I I looked at it, you know, when you talk about games like MVCi and KOF 14 being ugly ass games, I totally get it why people hate those games, you know. I'm sad that it happened, but presentation is super super important.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um what, one of my favorite things from Street Fighter 4 still it, it in that similar vein Anytime a Rufus did Ultra on stream. Anytime a Rufus (laughs) did Ultra on stream. You had the raise the roof moment, dude. Everybody raised the roof. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like that was a very special time because I was also, like, I was a high schooler when Street Fighter 4 came out. I was uh, eighth grade all the way until, like, yeah, until I was, like, a a freshman in college when I played Street Fighter 4. Was that was a very pivotal moment for me of like just being exposed to this kind of culture, that kind of audience yeah. and everything was exciting. Everything was really, really exciting at the time of street fighter four to me. Yeah.
0: And, wow. and you know, you had talked about that passion and stuff, you know, and uh, one of the things that always reminds me is every time I tell people why they should go to Evo, it's just when you end up at Evo, when you're in the audience and you have an audience of thousands of people and they're all cheering for the same things you're cheering for when most of your life you spend that most people have no idea why what you're watching is super cool. It's just such a magical moment, you know? When someone pulls off, like, the most crazy shimmy and then everyone's like, oh, my God! Or when, like, Tokido ends, you know, ends up round by doing taunt combo in the uppercut and everyone's like, oh! Like just having a whole arena full of everybody just gushing about the same thing you are is just, it's just an, uh, it's just an unforgettable moment, you know?
1: Wow. No, I, I want to say thank you because I actually haven't thought about those times of when I just entered the scene around like street fighter four mm-hmm. era so much recently. I'm like, wow, those are really, really exciting times. <laughs> Everything felt really new and fresh to me. Yeah. And, and, it was just a really cool to be a part of that. Um, I, I was going to quickly talk about like you know, the, what, I, what I'd say are the three big majors of the U.S., mm-hmm. right? Uh, we, we got Evo. Or actually, you, know, you told me about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got, we got Evo, which is, you know, it's like fighting game Olympics, basically. That, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's where everybody goes to prove they're the best in the world. Mm-hmm. You have Combo Breaker, which I felt was like the most grassroots event, you know, mm-hmm. where everybody goes to have a fun time and, yeah. you know, just, just play like in the old days. And then CEO, which is a, a celebration of Jibelee. <laughs> yeah, I found out recently foreign players, or at least the Japanese, they love CEO. They told me they straight up CEO's their favorite event.
0: Oh really? That's awesome, dude. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I always I always said that uh, you know, Evo is a celebration of fighting games, combo breaker is the celebration of community, and CEO is the celebration of Jabali. <laughs> I've even told that to Jabali, and he was like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what, oh, if, what is it that they love about CEO so much?
1: They, they like the presentation. They said it feels very American to them. That's all, like, pro wrestling style, and it's very, like, uh, over the top. They're like, they love that. Okay,
0: okay. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. No, because I know the Japanese players love going to CEO in droves. So, yeah, that's mm. awesome. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> I yeah, mean, again, you know, the- uh, you know, I, 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 I ribbed Jabali a lot in that situation, but you know, honestly, you know, what he's created with CEO is wonderful because. You know, same thing with Rick. Rick is about the grassroots kind of thing, and so that's the focus. Jabali is about the spectacle and the wrestling, and he loves wrestling, and so he integrated that. That's why I love ECT. I was so looking forward to going to my first ECT this year because it was going to be a, you know, stop on the CPT, I believe. And, um, you know, they, they've they integrated it with the music stuff that they've been doing you know, that's that's what I love to see what TOs do is when they integrate their event with, you know, something of their own passion. And that, that always makes me excited. I, I don't know if I could ever properly run a fighting game tournament with a Tetris theme. But, you know, I, I'd have to think about maybe I could make it work or something.
1: <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> we, 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 need a, we need a puzzle game event. We, we need a puzzle game EVO. All right, we need we need to have a Tetris tournament. Hey, if Tetris is the focus, awesome. But we need side terms for Puyo Puyo. We need side terms for Dr. Mario, Dude, columns. What are you even thinking? We need a puzzle game tournament. I've
0: actually told that to the guys who run CTWC. I said that that should be your goal. I was like, you need to create the PGC, the puzzle game community, you know, and eventually just start creating the Evo of this kind of thing with all the different. Events. I told them that that should be their their end goal, and not the the important thing about that is then they could also expand it to the modern Tetris games, so that the Tetris company has more investment to you know uh to to put money into it because if it's classic tetris they can't sell new tetris you know new nest tetrises and so it's it's not necessarily something for them to invest in but you know if we're having tournaments on that and on tetris 99 you know then you kind of give the tetris company reasons to sponsor and things like that but i've been I've been wanting a PGC and people have been trying to do that there was one event that was gonna be run uh this year that they invited me to that was supposed to take place this month uh needless to say it got cancelled uh but it was gonna be a puzzle game tournament there was gonna be a puzzle game tournament here uh uh unfortunately it was gonna be the same weekend as something else so I don't think I was gonna be able to make it to it but now obviously I can't make it to anything so there you go yeah.
1: <laughs> No, I I would love to see a pu- puzzle game tournament. Honestly, like I, I'm sorry to you know so I'll go slightly off top again, but this the just the mad just th- thinking about the sheer amount of people who know you from commentating a Tetris <laughs> like you know, finals, right? That is, that the what was it the world world championships? Classic Tetris World, Tetris Championship? world Championships, yes. There are so many people who know you for that who might not even know you for fighting games. And that is still crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, just because I've always known you for fighting games. There
0: was this weird—I don't even know what it was—like a Spanish gaming Facebook page or something like that that just like tweet, like put posted it on Facebook, and it went super viral on Facebook. And I had so many people on my Facebook message me and be like is that you, James, on there that, like, I hadn't heard from in forever and nobody's ever talked to me about, like, fighting games, but the Tetris thing, sure, there they were, so. <laughs> oh, man.
1: It, that's crazy. That's awesome yeah. for me to think about that. It's weird. You know, because I, I, I've known only in the past few years that you're really, really, really knowledgeable about Tetris, and I watched streams a few times, and it's just crazy. It's it's crazy seeing how skilled and how knowledgeable you are about that game. <laughs> uh, com- coming from someone who's only known you for the fighting game stuff. And seeing how your commentary works very well for Tetris as well. And how you're <laughs> very good at teaching Tetris. Yeah. It was very fun to watch you play tetris for the first time me watching you for the first time Mm -hmm. because you explained very very concisely what you're doing and why you're doing certain things i I appreciate that i actually
0: want to do a bunch of educational tetris streams because there's actually tools out there that might actually be able to help me with that so i'm kind of excited for that but (laughs) but yeah uh it's just it's it's weird that you know uh Tetris is the first thing that got me on TV for commentary. And I've gotten to interact with Ming-Na Wen now.
1: So, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the actress of Chun-Li from the Street Fighter movie knows you as the Tetris guy now.
0: Uh, oh, dang. 17 hits. You've been to Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Ah, but we've never ran into each other. That sucks. Uh, That's sad to hear, but hopefully, you know, obviously it was supposed to take place in the summer this year. They were moving the, the Portran Retro Gaming Expo from October to the summer. So, uh, CTWC was going to take place in the summer this year. However, uh, I think PRG, PRGE got canceled again, uh, due to COVID and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, Definitely wrecking a lot of things here, unfortunately.
1: So that's unfortunate. Yep, a lot lot of events are getting kind of canned. Um, it's funny because this is the year I wanted to go to actual gaming events that weren't FGC events. Mm -hmm. That's what I decided. I was like, I want to go to uh, Retro Gaming Expo. I want to go to MAGFest because apparently people keep saying it's really good. And I wanted to go to an AGDQ because I'm like, that sounds like a really fun time.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. AGDQ is a celebration of video games because video games have always been a very talented thing. And so AGDQ is like the extreme of that. I've never been to a MAGFest, but you know, Portland Retro Gaming Expo is, I'm sure for you would as a person who loves history and stuff, you walk around the, the like, it's basically half arcade and half just sales area. And you go in the sales area and you will find like Intellivisions and ColecoVisions and Atari 2600s for sale. You know, all these things that are older than you, you know, mm. <laughs> consoles that are older than you.
1: <laughs> oh, that that 80s would finish, dude. Oh,
0: yeah. The 80s would finish. Oh, man. But yeah, uh, gosh. Uh, back to fighting games, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah back to fighting games man we, we we've jumped from topic to topic multiple times i and i, I don't feel at all bothered by it. i just like i thought about like wow well, we went from arcade history to uh oh niner history <laughs> to like we we have jumped topics right. but it's it's all history nonetheless and i find it absolutely fascinating yeah
0: i mean as long as the people in the chat don't mind that we uh jump around dude 17 hits mentions the vectrex wow
1: the Vectrex, dude. That was yeah. the first vector graphic uh, gaming system, right? Uh, like a ca- home, home gaming system, yeah.
0: It was a yeah. it was a style of uh, in fact I think one of the very first games ever created, Space War. Uh, was vector graphics, but uh, it was definitely the first home console that could actually do that because you know We're at poly- we're at polygons right now What's actually really funny about it is it's actually kind of gone full circle because a lot of the first video games Created were vector based more like the uh, Star Wars kind of game But you know when you sit there and you play asteroids like if you ever go to any of those barcades and you play Asteroids you'll notice that the game is very bright like the when you shoot the shots They're very bright and everything is just kind of like polygon shapes and stuff. That's what vector graphics was. A lot of the original games started through vector graphics, and then it eventually just moved to sprite-based. And then eventually sprite-based graphics got replaced by 3D graphics, you know, because it was uh, easier to do that way. And so it kind of went full circle in a weird way, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. That is
1: very very interesting. Just like I I love learning about the arcade history as well. I know we talked about like you know even Pong you know last time with quarters. Yeah, how the machine yeah, was yeah, chock yeah. full of quarters. Machine broke down.
0: Uh, shout out to cone by the way. He says the very first video game was on an oscilloscope. Is what it was. Yeah, that was a space. Space War, where basically you just had two ships and you just tried to shoot each other, and that was it. That was the whole thing.
1: I, I actually I thought the very first oscilloscope game was like a tet- like a like a tennis type game. It was like it wasn't like distributed. It was just, just some guy made it.
0: Uh, I'm not sure actually. I'd have to go and look that up now. I have to go and find out unless someone in the chat knows the actual thing. I thought Space War was actually the first, you know, video game, and then Pong was the first arcade game. Oh okay so you might be right then so cone Space says, War
1: was the first arcade game actually yeah, yeah. Space War was the first arcade okay, game
0: Okay so cone is saying that there was some sort of tennis thing so there you go see this is what i mean you are you are a, such a history sponge you have more accurate history knowledge than i do man i'm going to start asking you questions about you know old school video games here <laughs>
1: Hey, that's just because I I study up on the things that are documented. Mm. The crazy thing is we're talking about things that are not documented, James, and you are the person who knows all of that stuff. (laughs) There's so much of our history, of our gaming, of our culture's gaming history that is not documented, and you hold all that knowledge.
0: I mean, like I said, as much knowledge as I hold, it's still got so many blind spots in there, too, because like I said, mine is such a SoCal-focused uh look and not only that but it is a, also a very street fighter focused look you know like if i wanted to talk about tekken i would have to bring in some like i'd have to bring in castell uh to talk about a lot of the the tekken history i'd have to bring in henry sen or arturo to talk about the new york history you know heck i could even bring in saber and he could talk about arizona history of the fgc you know it'd be interesting to to fi- I mean, I have all the B five VHSs. I have all these tapes and everything still. So it's it's pretty crazy that I I st- they're all still in a closet somewhere here. In fact, there was some stuff that I had promised that I would bring out of the closet, just like to grab, like just to show people and stuff. I'll have to think about that one of these days. Yeah, no frills you- podcast is great for East Coast history as well. So 1958 oscilloscope tennis game, huh? Dang. Okay, that's even way. Uh, earlier than i knew about okay there you
1: go yeah video game histories actually goes pretty far back um it's i actually have a documentary in my youtube playlist of video game documentaries you oh, dang that's so cool anyway.
0: that's so cool oh yeah there you go um, oh, look at this oscilloscope i'm just looking at the pictures it looks like those radars that you used to see on old you know the little bit- Radars, you yeah, know, that's like basically on a submarine or something,
1: like. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, one point I actually did want to discuss, because especially considering we keep talking about a home console, arcade, home port, whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was so back in the Street Fighter 2 days, you know, early 90s, tell me about home ports. Oh, boy.
0: Yeah, uh, when Street Fighter 2 first came out on the Super Nintendo, like, I- I'll just, like, it was not accurate, it was not arcade accurate, it was differently a port, it was a version, but at the same time it was like the greatest gift to all fighting game players because the Super Nintendo had six buttons and it was shockingly close. Because back then you just never expected the arcade and the home version to be the same at all. Like. People who grew up on the NES and know about games like Bionic Commando, uh, Section Z, all these games like that. and What about the-
1: Ninja Turtles Arcade on the NES? Oh, it's the same thing, oh,
0: right? Oh, jeez. Ninja Turtles on the arcade was such uh, i mean, oh, it was so bad compared to the actual game in the arcade. Uh, like, you just, had, you just accepted the fact way back then... When Oh, that's a great topic, Keegar. Actually, write that one down, Corey. We'll talk about that in the next episode. We'll talk about it because that's a big story right there. Yes,
1: that is a big story.
0: But um, a lot of the times, you know, you played uh, these games that, you know, you didn't realize that the arcade version was entirely different. Like, we know Contra from the NES. We know these games from the NES now. And in fact, a game like Bionic Commando arguably was better on the NES than it was in the arcade because the arcade was a very different kind of style you made a game we talked about it that it was designed to eat your quarters right it was designed to to be hard and steal your quarters and stuff and games were entirely different you just didn't expect them to be the same when they came home and so i still remember the first time i saw a magazine with street fighter 2 on the snes i was looking at it and it only dawned on me that it was the snes version not the arcade version like after a few minutes of looking at and i was like oh my god these graphics are insane but you just accepted the fact that you played the home version and it wasn't the same and you didn't care Mm -hmm. because it was just awesome to have something like that at home you know when mortal kombat 2 first showed up on the snes it was beautiful but you know my friend didn't like it because it just wasn't accurate like if katana did the fan wave Uh, Raiden in the arcade just could do you know and I would actually hit Katana out of it but on the SNES version if you did it he would get hit by the wave and get floated up and he was like what this is not accurate at all you know and you just accepted that and it wasn't until Alpha 1 that we actually got an arcade accurate home version where you could count on things that happened at home to actually play the same in the arcade And so it was just like, I mean, when Super Street Fighter 2 came out on the SNES and it had the weird, everyone sounds like they're in a tin can voice, you know, Mm -hmm. like it just sounded like really weird, but really muffled and weird. Yeah. And again, it just wasn't accurate, you know, and it's that was the thing. It's like, it's so crazy. And and again, Alpha One was the first Street Fighter fighting game that had a training mode and there were no options in that training mode. There were zero options in that training mode. And so, you know, it was, it was, yeah, we couldn't practice at home. You just played a different version. But the, it's weird because, like, nowadays, like, you have one inaccuracy and people are like, this is unacceptable. I refuse. Like, this cannot be. Like, but back then, you just, you didn't even bat an eye that it wasn't accurate. You just accepted that that's where the way you were literally playing a different version and just happy enough. You had the, me and my brother spent hours, hundreds of hours playing Street Fighter on 2 the, on the SNES. And we didn't care that it wasn't accurate. We were just happy that we had this version that we could play, you know, and nothing was that exact anyway. So it was close enough. You know, we didn't know about how exact everything was and we didn't care that you couldn't do all the exact same things. It was close enough, and that was fine. <laughs> well,
1: well, I guess that's also another question, right, is, you know, because of the internet, it's like, first off, how, how much of you know, arcade Street Fighter II did people really know about the in-depth mechanics and, you know, what was actually happening, and how could somebody tell that Street Fighter II on console at the time either had or didn't have those things like how would you catch those things
0: yeah and and you know the answer is it really only mattered to those people who were the experts you know only the experts would be able to tell you the difference between all these different things like uh guile's close-up medium punch he didn't do the little, like, little uppercut punch. He just, like, did this little extra punch. Like, they they had to save on a lot of frames and a lot of the moves weren't accurate. And, you know, I knew these things. And so you lost certain weapons that actually were very valuable to the top highest levels. But if you were just a casual player, it was the exact same thing and it didn't matter. So, yeah, back then, most people wouldn't have been able to actually tell you any differences. You know, they just... Wouldn't have cared. Uh, Guile's, for example, his far jab in in Street Fighter 2 was the (laughs) stupid jab that reached... Like Guile leaned so far forward that jab times seven was a legit combo and was actually a re-dizzy. So if you actually knock someone stunned, if you timed it right, you could go jab, 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 they'd fall dizzy. And you'd walk up and go jab, 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 and then they'd fall dizzy, and then you could kill them. Like, <laughs> it was, but like on the home version, they had to save animation, so he had only one jab animation, so he didn't have that combo. You know, it's just like... All these little things, like Guile has never had his far jab ever come back in Street Fighter 2 because that move was super broken.
1: (laughs) So, you're telling me, what you're telling me is Guile deserves what's going on in that box art right now.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dude, Turtles in Time on the Super Nintendo, dude, because that was so accurate to the arcade one, it was a life changing experience. Absolutely was. Once we started getting to the point where the games at home could be replicated like the games in the arcade. I'll tell you, when Alpha 1 came out on the Sega Saturn, I can't even tell you how much... Like, the training mode had no options... You couldn't change the computer to never block. You couldn't change it to do anything. Like, you couldn't set yourself up with infinite uh, super meter, I don't think. I think you just had to, like, build the meter up and try the combo again. And it was just as bare bones as you could possibly imagine a training mode. Like, nowadays, if that training mode came out on any fighting game, like, everybody would, People riot, riot. Because it would People riot. it. would Because it was so inadequate, but I cannot tell you how many hours I spent in that training mode and how much I learned about that game anyway. It had all the same glitches. Like, Saddam had a glitch that uh, if you swept him or if you knocked him down, the way Alpha worked is when you knocked somebody over, they couldn't be juggled after they reached the apex of their reel. They would get hit and then they would come down and they couldn't be juggled anymore. Saddam was glitched in that he could be juggled even as he was about to hit the ground. And so uh, you could do a bunch of combos on Sodom that you couldn't do against a bunch of other characters. That was replicated on the home version, so I was able to do all that stuff there as well. And yeah, the, the fact that we had an arcade accurate with even a terrible training mode was the greatest thing I could ever ask for because when I played on the Super Nintendo, I practiced all of my combos with my foot. I would literally have one of the SNES pads on the floor with my foot on down back, like ready to hit down back. And then when I hit jump fierce on the enemy, I would push my foot down to go to down back to see if I got the combo right. That's how I made it block for me. Like I would do jump fierce with Guile and then immediately hit down back with my toe, with my big toe, and then start doing the combo to see if I could actually do the combo. That's how we did training mode back then. And I did that in versus mode by putting myself to the lowest handicap setting and the opponent to the highest handicap setting, turning off the timer so that the enemy could last as long as possible and take as little damage as possible, and that's what I would do. Literally, that's how I did training mode on the SNES days.
1: The extent... Players had to go through the you had to go through to do that. <laughs> I was I gonna go, oh my god. Oh my god.
0: I mean, that really is some uh that really is some uh, barefoot in the snow, you know <laughs>
1: uphill that boat. Ways. Is all hell.
0: That is definitely I mean, it is that is what I had to do. That's literally what I had to do in order to um In order to practice these fighting games, man. I mean, that's that's how crazy it was.
1: Uh, There weren't the resources or the options to do. There weren't the tools to do that. Yeah. Wow, that's such a crazy time to think about. Also, Street Fighter Two's weird ass mechanics, like random damage, random stun, random.
0: Dude, it's so funny, too, because, like, and here I am today making tweets where I'm like, I really wish Street Fighter V would add these features in here into their training mode. And Street Fighter V has, like, one of the greatest training modes in existence currently, you know, and I'm so spoiled, even though I knew what it was like blocking with my toes. <laughs> oh, man.
1: So, we have about 10 minutes left, so I'm, I'm actually struggling to find a topic that's not going like, to take us, like, okay, okay, too far enough. down the road. Um, because, God, there's so many more topics we could talk about. There, there's so much to still discuss. Um, do we want to go into the Tomohira story, or uh, do you think that's over, or, already overly let, discussed? Let's you think save, talk let's about save
0: that? that for next week, because the, I, I, I can tell my Tomo stories. And I've told it before on on videos before, like in interviews and everything like that. But I think it would be fun to tell on this story and tell on this podcast as well. Just to have it officially documented, how I met Tomo and what my first interaction with Tomo was. Because it was really fun and fascinating. (laughs) And then, oh God, yeah, playing on the SNES. One of the fun things, uh, do you know about the Game Genie?
1: Yes, I do. Game Genie. It was before Game Shark. Yeah. Yeah, so the Game
0: Genie was something that you plugged the SNES cartridge into, then you plugged that into the SNES. And what it would do was just change memory slots. And there was no rhyme or you just it was literally you just put in codes and hoped for the best. And people would find funny codes and they would post them on the internet, the beginnings of the internet, in like news groups and stuff like that. And then yeah, then you would actually end up starting to do weird things like me and my friends, god, we played Super Nintendo uh Street Fighter 2 with these stupidest things. <laughs> like there these codes had like the dumbest description to it. like one of them that uh Cone will remember, actually the two of us were always laugh about even to this day was uh Guile is as red as the devil. <laughs> And all it did was just make Guile super red, and that was all it was. And it was the <laughs> stupidest thing. There was one that was, uh, we had to learn how to play Street Fighter 2 by never blocking by accident, because the blocks would actually stick to the opponent. So, like, if you blocked a Blanca ball, it would hit you and then just hit you until you died. So you go, chip damage and died, you know? I had one code that let me, that basically made it so that if you played the game, it would make you, it would take like Vegas or Bison or Balrog or Sagat sprites and map them onto Ryu. So they would be colored with Ryu, but it would be the other character and you would do like Haroken and they would try it like with... With Vega, if you did Spin Kick, he would, like, do this weird off-the-wall stabby thing, but it was the only way I could play the boss characters on the original uh, SNES version. And so I had this version of it where I would do that, and then you could reduce the damage to, like, one pixel for every hit so that I could just sit there and mess with the bosses and actually see what they might feel like if you could kind of play them. (laughs) Like,
1: it was so... James... I, I think you need to run a Street Fighter 2 Game Genie tournament on Super <laughs> Nintendo. It's like Rainbow Edition. You need to run a, a, like a Mystery Tournament of just <laughs> Street Fighter 2 on SNES with random Game Genie codes turned on. Dude, one of the
0: funniest ones was that you could change jump attacks mapped to different attacks. So you could make it so that jump roundhouse became a standing jab or whatever like that. So the best one was you could make a jump roundhouse turn into crouch roundhouse and so it became a low and a high attack at the same time, so it was unblockable. (laughs) You could just do jump roundhouse, which turned into a sweep, and so it was literally unblockable, because it would hit you low if you stood up, and it would hit you
1: high if you (laughs) crouched. I hate this. This is so cursed. (laughs) This, this, This is what our world, this is what our society needs today, is just... Cursed is hell, Street Fighter he matches. Street, it's cursed Street Fighter you game. Know,
0: and, the, and the saddest thing is, I think I still have my Game Genie. I still think I have a Street Fighter 2 on the SNES. And I might be able to find all of the documents that I had of Game Genie codes. So if I could figure out a way to stream the Super Nintendo, I might actually be able to, 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 to have an episode where we just mess with Game Genie Street Fighter 2.
1: I, I would love this, especially if you could tell me the Guile has the devil code. Like, oh, my God, that's the best thing ever. Dude, there was, so one good. Code,
0: there was one code that would replace the background with the versus screen. So you would play and, like, Guile, like, like da, 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 you know, that thing would be over there. And, like, Bison would be in the background. And so that, that would scroll in the background. Dude, it's so crazy. See, see this is the thing. I don't know if I would have ever gone in this direction on these history shows without you asking these kind of questions. I don't know if it would have ever gotten to this point where now I'm thinking about streaming the Super Nintendo Game Genie Street Fighter
1: Oh all, all I asked about was home ports. I I, <laughs> I it was a very vague question. Hey, tell me about home ports. And here you are telling me about game genie. Holy crap. Oh,
0: it's so funny. Actually, let me let me run downstairs and see if I can bust out my game genie. Hang on, let me I'm gonna be right back. I gotta do
1: I'm gonna use the restroom so I'll be right back actually I have to to pee
0: for now i can't find the game genie right now but uh i'll try to look for it a little bit i'll I'll definitely look for it a little bit so (laughs) oh oh no cory's gone too no no yeah uh i can't find my game genie unfortunately uh apologize i'll definitely do some more careful searches later on and uh decide to see if i can find it somewhere i can't find it right now i'll look i'll look harder for it later
1: so (laughs) all right No, it's just that that's that's actually a very, very interesting topic. I won't, I would love to watch you play World Warrior or even Hyper Fighting with just Game Genie codes. Like, whole, like it's the home version of Rainbow Edition. (laughs) I would love to see that, dude.
0: You could seriously do that. You could make it so you could do special moves in the air and jump again. It was, you could do all of that stuff with it. It was crazy. So, um, I'm pretty sure that's kind of how they even made Rainbow Edition. They probably just like tweaked a bunch of stuff and were like, this is funny. And then they just went with it. So, oh, man. Oh, my God.
1: That's that definitely a topic. I, I definitely need to see you do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, well, now I, if I, I was, was even... going talk... to go
0: say, ahead. now Actually, if I can't ahead. find my Game Genie, I'm going to try to buy one off of eBay <laughs> just so I can do this. Oh, man.
1: Okay, uh, Kegar, this, uh, this is the world we live in.
0: Yeah, Kigar, we're doing this basically every Monday now. So every Monday at five PM, we're gonna do uh, Okay Sonic Boomer and just talk about all this stuff.
1: <laughs> Thing is, I I was originally asking about the home port topic to be like, okay, did anyone ever run home port tournaments? Like, would anybody go to an arcade and be like, hey, oh. after this, we're gonna have a home home port tournament at home or something
0: like that that's actually a really good question i don't know of any i i can't remember any sort of like home tournaments outside of just hey here's a birthday party we gather together hey let's run a tournament you know but outside of that i can't think of any there were there was never any really like official kind of situations in my opinion mm-hmm. so
1: gotcha and i know we're going to go into this topic more the next time but basically do, do, would you say then you think that there wasn't that shift of having home tournaments until when Evo swapped off of Arcade to home-, home consoles? Yeah,
0: I think that was a major deciding factor. And again, we'll get into that later on. But it was still, at the time, hated, but still one of the best decisions ever. <laughs> oh yeah, Joe, was we definitely talked about fake inputs point. last time. We talked about fake inputs last time because of how yeah. close you had to be with so, next to somebody. So you had to like fake inputs and stuff.
1: Uh, I still find that to be one of the most unique aspects is because you guys are so, because the, both players are right next to each other. You had unique strategies, like faking inputs or bumping into them or, 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 or eating burritos before tournaments. Not, I just love that part.
0: Not bathing.
1: Not bathing. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, we've man. come a long way. Actually, no, we haven't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think that's about it. That's all the time we've really got right now. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to just make things go. Come- and end because there's still so much we could talk about oh,
0: but that's, that's I, the beauty I wonder of how it long then.
1: we're gonna go until we run out of topics to talk topic about
0: yeah i know that's the beauty about it is we this means we've got weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of
1: this so. <laughs> more content coming directly to you yeah
0: and i'm enjoying this a lot so i'm having a lot of fun with this so
1: <laughs> oh no same thank you so much like I, i'm both learning a lot And I'm having a lot of fun like my my, my, I've had a takeaway eat uh, both last week and this week last week. My major takeaway was I was learning more about the actual arcades like I didn't Mm -hmm. know about uh, was Aladdin.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 oh, the, the, the Aladdin's, Aladdin's
1: Castle. Castle. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. Aladdin's, learning about Aladdin's Castle was big, because it was funny, after you posted on Twitter, a lot more people were talking about Aladdin's Castle, like, oh, I remember that, yeah. I remember that, I remember going to Aladdin's Arcade, yeah. Aladdin's Castle. Uh-huh. And the other one was, I ha- did not know that they did not tell you the moves, of the, the special moves, like, oh, on yeah, the cabin, yeah. they did not have a move list on there.
0: Yeah, that, and, and Jason Wilson being a, an FGC guy, too. <laughs>
1: I've been reading tips and tricks since I was eight and I never knew that
0: yeah no Jason Wilson is a big, big important member of the of the FTC. Also an avid video game collector himself. I had been to his place one time to play a fighting game, and he's one of those guys that at one point in time I, I think he sold his collection eventually, but he had like every Nintendo game officially ever published. He had every Super Nintendo game, every Genesis game. He was one of those guys that just collected everything. so he's 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 one of those true arc, uh, video game uh fans jason wilson
1: so yeah definitely want to meet more people more more retro members of the fgc <laughs> or older people in the fgc because i feel like the best stories and some of the best information comes from you guys
0: yeah actually gundam Jahudi kai he did have the nintendo world championship card because he placed in the nintendo world championship yeah jason Wilson Gold was Kart? one of the players in there like he was in that tournament so yeah, Jason Wilson just has a very storied history in fi- in video games. So. <laughs> do, do
1: Do you still have contact with Jason Wilson?
0: Uh, I have him on my Facebook. I can contact him anytime I want to. So
1: I was about to say because well, one, I'd personally like to talk to him, and two, I think he'd make another good person yeah. to bring onto a show like this. You know, For just sure. to talk about history, like. They're, 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 you might not even need me. Like, there, there are plenty of people within our community <laughs> who you could talk to. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, I just like having you on here for the perspective of being able to ask these questions. Because could, I could end up, like, waxing nostalgic with someone. But if we ever say anything that blows your mind, like not having the move lists on the cabinet, we would have never – I would have never even realized that that was a problem. You know, I, that like, it's good to have that perspective of someone going, wait a second. <laughs>
1: You know? Yeah, for for me, like the moveless specifically, like that surprises me because I had never thought about, wait, there's no moveless, that means everyone has to figure it out on their own yep. and how that experience must have been. Yep. That is the part that blew my mind of hearing you and your brother trying to figure out moves and figuring out how SPDs work. Yep. That was mind blowingly <laughs> cool to me.
0: Oh, uh, it's so funny. But, uh, okay, I, I just want to say, you know, obviously we're going to be trying to do this every 5 p.m. Pacific time uh... on monday uh... if you guys do enjoy this content uh... definitely please subscribe uh... give some gift subs here donate bits i saw an anonymous cheer up there i don't have the uh... notifications for subscriptions and stuff I'll I actually have to think about adding those on here so i can see when people do subscribe but you know uh, also subscribe as well because then I will just be buying Corey lots of meals in the future and stuff. So <laughs> for helping out with this, so the more you guys sub, the more you guys donate, you know, the more amazing meals I'll be buying Corey once we can once we can stop social distancing.
1: <laughs> yes, once we stop social distancing, maybe he'll be able to buy me a Hot Pocket or or, or a Mountain Dew or a bag of Doritos, <laughs> some, something that keep me sustained through through this gamerhood i lived through right i'll try to get you oh, something man.
0: better than that <laughs>
1: uh, oh man it'd be great but no yeah everybody thank you everybody who tuned in thank you james for having me on this show it was a lot of fun i'm, I'm still learning a lot every time we have this show which is the most exciting part right. for me we've got a lot um,
0: more to cover too we've got so much more to cover
1: <laughs> god we've barely scratched the surface <laughs>
0: All right, cool. But Gosh. again, uh, follow Corey on Twitter as well. You can see at CoreyBellFGC. Uh, I'm also on Twitch. Your Twitch is just Corey Bell without FGC, right?
1: Yeah. Uh. So, I mean, I'm just going to comment in uh Yeah, no problem. Chat, but uh, me, chat. that's me. Yeah, that's okay. just oh, yeah, yeah, there you I, I stream. Go. Okay. I try to stream every day. It's, Sometimes fighting games, sometimes me screwing around playing other games. I've seen but, Yeah, st- if you come check me out, appreciate it.
0: You've been streaming a lot of old games recently, huh?
1: Like what? Yeah, I've actually been playing my uh, Super Nintendo Classic a lot more recently, oh, so I've been playing a lot of those. Okay. Uh, one of the games I actually did want to talk, talk about quickly, just in terms of ports, was Punch Out. Oh, yeah, yeah, game yeah, yeah really that's right. I, I saw recently. you
0: playing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs>
1: So that was it. That was my point. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you want <laughs> to follow me on Twitch or Twitter, uh, I'm CoryBellFGC on Twitter and just Corey Bell on Twitch. Cool. If you follow me, i appreciate it. Toss some dodos, subs, whatever. Also appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and expect all the greatest memes from Cory on the interwebs as well. So.
1: <laughs> yep. Shit. Uh, meme poster deluxe. That's me. Exactly. Um, that's about it for me. Yep,
0: and, uh, oh nice, I see your emotes there too. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But uh, thanks guys for tuning in, and thanks guys for watching. Uh, OK Sonic Boomer, as I said, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time, will be on YouTube eventually. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, make sure you comment, like, and subscribe, so you'll know every time a new OK Sonic Boomer comes out. Uh, tweet it out to all your friends. Let everybody know about it so that so they could learn about the history of fighting games and such. So, thanks guys for tuning in. Again, thank you Corey. And this time, you know, you're you're not gonna disappear on me. And I had to close out without talking to you. I felt bad, but you know, <laughs> the call lasted <laughs> no, the whole thank time. You for doing this time, that last so. time. <laughs> all right, cool. Thanks guys for watching. And take care. And have a good night.
1: Have a good night. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Yes. Bye bye. Panic Boom!